Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up, TK? Yo, it's uh, it's episode 50. This Big is day. our 50th episode. We hit a milestone, sort of. I guess that means we started this podcast like a year ago. About there, about that time, yeah. I'm surprised we made it this long. Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was a terrible idea when we start. No, that's that's not true. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I listen to all these podcasts and they do like special stuff for. Oh, it's episode 200. We're gonna. Uh, for anyone listening, we've got absolutely nothing planned today, so enjoy. <laughs> I, I feel uh, like because I feel like because it's the 50th episode, you should release your uh, MTV Cribs uh, video to the public. Ooh, I, I could put that in the show notes. The less annoying CRM we've been doing, MTV Cribs, since we're all working from home, we've been like filming our homes. So that's a good idea. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes if I remember. <laughs> I've I forced uh, at least two family members to watch that video all the way through. <laughs> Did they get it? Did they watch MTV Cribs back in the day? The, yeah, but they got it. Uh, but they were like, it's too long. It's like just a little bit too long. I'm like, it's hilarious. You can la- you can laugh at it for this long. <laughs> it is too long. Um, anyway, yeah. Aside from that, my my big news for the week is uh, I moved in with my parents. You know, life goals achieved. Thirty five year old living in the basement. You're um, definitely not at your parents' place right now. I'm not right now. So the the story here is so like a few months ago we got it. Shelly and I got a dog. And you have to walk dogs. And we live in this big apartment building where it takes... So we we got a basset hound. He literally takes 15 minutes round trip to get out the door, pee, and come back. Like, he, he's very slow. We have to do this four or five times a day. So in an era where you don't want to be around other humans, walking down these long hallways and getting in elevators multiple times a day with a thing that literally attracts strangers who want to pet it, and nobody in this building is wearing masks. Uh, which drives me crazy. So we were like, we got to get out of this apartment because it just seems like we're we're interacting with other humans way, way too much uh, who aren't wearing masks. So I'm back. I'm spending like a two day stretch here, but the dog's not with me. So I don't, I don't ever have to go outside. So it doesn't seem like the same level of risk, but tonight I'm going back to my parents' house and uh, yeah, that's, that's life now living with the parents. How's that going? It's it's actually great, and they both listen to this, so I, I definitely shouldn't say anything mean. Not that I would, but uh, no, it's it's like an awesome vacation, sort of, where would I like to do this indefinitely for the rest of my life? Probably not, but it's like this got this high school feel. Like I go upstairs after I'm done working, and my mom's making dinner and watching the news, and it's like, oh, I remember this. This is how life used to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I, uh, yeah, I'm living with my wife's parents right now at the lake. I've been out here for a few weeks and it's been really nice. Yeah. Do you have a, an end date in mind? The current end date is, uh, post 4th of July, like Sunday or Monday, but I wouldn't mind extending for another week or two or three. I mean, if you don't have anywhere to be in Salt Lake, why go back? In reality, there's a good reason not to go back to Salt Lake, which is people, you know, there's actually a mandatory mask order in Salt Lake County. Have you heard about that? No, but that's great. They're supposed to be doing that here pretty soon, but I don't know if it's official yet. I can't, I can't imagine that given where the police are right now and the public's view that they're going to cite people for not wearing masks, but it'll be interesting to see how the enforcement goes. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, you're right that probably literally criminalizing not wearing a mask and like using violence against people is not good but there's a problem right now where too many people are like embarrassed to wear masks and the only solution to that is to normalize it to say it's legally required every building you step foot in should legally should like be like you you can't be in this building without a mask and i think the more you see other people like when i walk jolo in my parents neighborhood the reality is i never come close to any other human i don't need to wear a mask but i still do because it's like, I think the more people see other people wearing masks, the more they will wear them themselves. Social um, pressure and blending in works. Yeah. 
So anyway, I think the the mask orders, even if they're not enforced, it goes towards that where it's like the default is wear it and you're the weirdo for not wearing it, you know? We're a ways away from that, I think. I agree, unfortunately. Uh, we anyway, should all just yeah. move in with our parents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the move. I, it helps that my mom is a professional food blogger, so I uh, I eat a lot better when I'm living at home. <laughs> yeah, most people probably don't know about this on the show, but you made your first uh, entrepreneurial windfall uh, through a helping your mom with a, a food blog. Yeah, it, the blog was started after Less Annoying CRM, but I think it was probably successful before Less Annoying CRM. Like it's, it made money faster, and so... For a decent chunk of time, I was making more money off that food blog than uh, just because I helped make it and like did the tech and the ads and stuff. Um, I was making more off that than I was less knowing serum for a while. That's cool. I love that story. (laughs) No longer though. Now I'm a one income person. It's really sad. Um, Yeah. So when you watch this Cribs video that he's going to put, that Tyler's going to put in the show notes, when you see what he actually eats, um, you would never believe that his mom knows how to cook. I suspect that's why I, I think I grew up so spoiled with good food. As soon as I tasted other home cooking, like I remember doing a friend's meal where everyone would cook something and I ate it and I was like, this is terrible. Like, what are you all doing? I'm done eating home cooked food unless it's from my mom. I mean, nothing but fast food. <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, so yeah. How about like uh, business wise? What's going on with you? So big milestone was getting all the interns onboarded. I got, uh, so I have now have six interns from uh, various schools, Yale, UNC, uh, even a business school student at MIT. Um, I, so they're all working now and uh, we have a one hour per week meeting scheduled for each of them. Uh, Lena, who was the original intern who sort of came up with this program idea, um, she is killing it. I just had my meeting with her today. She, I, I can't believe this. I got to give her major props, but she's gotten to the point where she's sort of on, her project is working on a go-to-market strategy or plan for leg up health to go from 50 clients to a thousand clients as soon as possible, but like sustainably. And she, uh, so she, she, she started with understand the industry, the problem site, and then, you know, we're, we're intentionally uh, limiting ourselves to, um, Utah, the state of Utah geographically um, for various reasons. And so she started looking at the market sizing for Utah. She's learned that there's uh, around 200 plus, a minimum of 200,000 plus people buying um, their own health insurance in Utah. Of those, she's learned that about half uh, go through a broker or an agent, half don't. Um, she's she started diving into, um, you know, within Utah, where, where do people hang out? Well, there's really three, three or four counties in Utah where 90% of the population of you, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but like, it's sort of like the three counties that have all the pop, you know, the, the, the workers. And, and so she picked, uh, she's up in park city for the summer. So she picked a, uh, you know, a, a summit County, which is where park city, the County park city's in. And so she's been, uh, over the last couple of weeks, sort of pick, uh, playing with industry segments. Um, you know, real estate was one, uh, uh, what is the other one? Uh, a retail restaurants. And she really zeroed in on real estate. Let me just tell you this. She reached out to 100 real estate agents last week in park city. Wow. Wait, she, I, I'm, I'm amazed park city even has a hundred real estate agents, but that's, that's hustle. It's more like 300. Yeah. So she's got a list of all those. She's fit, built the list. Um, she validates, she, she thinks real estate's better because of um, the close uh, networking that happens and the word of mouth that can happen. And then there's sort of some natural groupings with certifications, continue education, the national, Re- you know, the Utah Realtor Association, and then even like these larger real estate groups that sort of act as general agents almost for um, 100, 100 or so, 50 or so independent agents. So she, she, she just randomly called a hundred people, started interviewing them about market research. Um, got, had about a 20% sort of connection rate on a hundred calls. So that's pretty good. And then yeah. of the 20, you know, 20, 25 people she talked to, um, about uh, 40, 35, 40% of them were ideal customers. Great. That's, that's awesome. Isn't that incredible? That's a- 
That is just for anyone listening, thinking about bringing on an intern for like one of these part-time things. That is, you should not normally expect those kinds of results. That's awesome. So, um, she, uh, she's, she, she is a rising junior at Yale. She's trying to decide whether to go back or not, um, in the fall. If they're doing all the, I don't know if you followed this, but all the colleges are doing all kinds of crazy stuff to yeah. deal with. Well, COVID. Shelley's a, Shelly's a professor at Wash U, So yeah, like I'm, I'm see, living it a little bit. Yeah. You're living it. It's like they're, they're, it's, you know, whether they want to admit it or not half 90, I think 60 plus percent of the value proposition of a, of a top tier university is being around in person, rubbing shoulders with the other students and then marginally, you know, impact is the professors. And that's just 60% of the value proposition off the bat. And when you take that away and you say, Hey, like come, you know, to come pay us 50,000, $60,000, $75,000 a semester, but you can't talk to each other. You can't, you know, walk around with each other. All classes are online. You can't leave the dorm basically when you're here. And no, we're not giving you a discount. It's like, what the, why would you do that? Yeah. There's absolutely no way I would go to, especially if you're an incoming freshman, if you haven't even started yet, I'd be like, I'm absolutely taking gap years until I can actually get my money's worth for sure. Totally. So it's kind of an interesting time to have summer interns because a lot of, I think, you know, specifically mid sort of non-seniors, non-rising seniors, because I expect some percentage of these interns to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to go back to school in the fall. And I'm starting to think like, well, how can I retain them in some sort of role for the ones that are highly, you know, really high performing? Is that worth diving into right now or is, are you not there yet? I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Um, but I, I do think that's a topic for down the road. I'm actually going to put it on the backlog right now. Yeah. Uh, call it retaining I'd, interns. I'd be thinking very seriously about that because ha- having someone who's already doing a great job, I mean, this is one of the, a, a lot of people don't like hiring entry level people because you have to mentor them so much and all this. But the flip side is if you bring someone on as an intern, it de-risks the hire so much to say, I've already worked with them. I already know they're awesome. Uh, I would be thinking very seriously about how do you keep them around? Yep. So uh, anyway, it's, it's, uh, so I just, I, the intern stuff, Lena sort of has set the bar for what an intern can do at Leg Up Health. And I feel bad for the other interns, honestly. <laughs> They're also not in the same situation, though. Like she started earlier and has, you're giving her more than an hour of your time a week, aren't you? Hour and a half. Yeah. So anyway, I feel like they're not, it's not an apples to apples comparison. It's not, it's not, I I didn't mean to make it sound like it was, but it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just interesting. It's really interesting. And I'm, I'm super, uh, I'm super impressed, honestly. So major shout out. The other thing, uh, are you uh, praising her? I'm trying to, but you know, like we have those conversations where you, if you tell someone who's doing a really good job, too, too much that they're doing a really good job. They start to question whether they're doing a really good job. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to like make it clear that this is awesome work, but also not like confuse. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Humans are so funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, I'm, so she's going to, you know, one of, she's going to continue down the real estate path. And I think we found our first niche segment to tackle in terms of outbound outreach, doing the full funnel marketing. That's awesome. I mean, it it's just not that hard to imagine you calling a hundred people. You said 20 of them pick up and talk to you and half of them are a good fit. And let's say half of those actually like will act and make you the broker record or whatever it is. That's a business model right there. Yep. That's kind of all you need. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, what, one of the, one of the things that she's working to validate this week is how, what percentage can't, you know, one, can she repeat the 100 to 20 to, to 10 ish, um, sort of funnel. And then what happens to the 10 that were qualified when, when they're invited to check it out? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed. Um, but yeah, like if I think like, I think this goes to show if you find someone who is curious, interested in the subject that you're working in and in your business and they, uh, and you're willing to let them sort of follow their curiosity and not micromanage, 
there's some amount of ownership that can be taken on. We both, you and I experienced this Tyler at Zane benefits where the sky is the limit in terms of what can be accomplished if you let people sort of take their own journey. Yeah. And I actually think it gets harder to do that as the company grows, like not impossible, but like it's harder for me to give someone that level of like control your own destiny compared to what you can do right now. So I think that someone who's early on, this is like one of the superpowers. If you look at it, like how can any really, really new business compete with existing businesses? They have to have superpowers. And this is one of them is you can take some random college student and level them up to like a super high contributor in a way that uh, even a 20 person company can't really do. I don't think. Yeah, the 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 way I'm thinking about it is in start in an early stage startup, it's really all about questions and answering them. And pretty much anyone who has self drive and a willingness, like a, a, an ability to ask good questions and you know just kind of follow their curiosity, like they're going to figure it out. And so it, it's it's just time, right? So yeah, yeah. No well, skill. I remember like the first the first couple years of interns we had, they'd come in and be like, I'd be like, what do you want to work on? You know, we've got marketing projects, we got, you can write content, you can make videos, whatever. And everyone just found like great stuff and owned it and all that. And now the, the interns we have actually are probably higher caliber now, but they come in and they're like, I want to write. And I'm like, well, okay, Eunice and Emily do the writing. Like, let's figure out how you can fit into what's going on. It's just, it's not the same experience for them. Um, so anyway, that's great that you're taking advantage of, of where you're at there. So that's the intern side. The other big project I have going on right now is I've ramped up my reach out. So if you think of the interns as sort of working on the things that'll get us from 50 clients to 1000, I'm sort of solo, you know, brute forcing the, you know, 10 to 50, you know, client growth. And so a couple mm -hmm. of a few weeks ago, I just, I started just building a list throughout the week, reaching out to one person or five people a day, just saying, Hey, here's what I'm working on. You know, do you, do you fall into this category? Or do you know someone who does would love to you know, chat with you about it and learn from you? And, and maybe, maybe there's an opportunity for us to, to collaborate on this. And, um, you know, that's, that started to, snowball a little bit. And literally yesterday I, br I brought on four new clients and today I've, I've brought on three. And so like, wow. I have, yeah, so I've, you like, know, I've like, still got a like signups for the freemium product or like you're their broker now they've committed to becoming me, me becoming the agent or they've bought, they've purchased new policies through my agency. Wow. So you're, you're adding a hundred dollars in MRR a day right now. I mean, just two days, mm. but like, that's interesting. Yeah. I haven't thought about it in that, in that, in those terms. Um, but yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, what's really interesting is that most people know a few other people who now that you know, they've had that moment go, Oh, I can totally tell someone about this. Hmm. That's, so I'm really, so wait, I'm really are, are, how connected are you to these people? Like this is just a cold email or something, or like a friend of a friend. These, I'm only going to people I know, um, okay. or have talked to in the past. And that's a lot of people. Yeah. In Utah. So, um, and then there, like, for example, one guy who runs a um, custom tailor shop here in Salt Lake City, that he, he just reached out to four people, his, you know, and all four of them were like, yeah, this is exactly this, this, they he sent him leg up health and some, an email that I'd put together for him. And they all said, man, this is, this solves a pain point for me. It's just so fascinating to me how your business model is targeting something everyone has to buy, but where they don't have to pay you any money. Like it, it's possible. There's just this amazing opportunity here that like, you, you kind of wonder why no one's done this yet. I mean, I guess people have their insurance brokers out there, but like, why isn't this space more competitive given that people can give you meaningful amounts of money without personally spending any money? Totally. It's, it's, I think it's just er an early market that no one really understands and sees that's uh, maybe sophisticated in other areas. And I just, you know, how many people have spent their, you know, a, a decade or two and a half studying, you know, the individual market and the trends associated with that? Like, there's probably not a whole lot of people that have done that. And I, I, I sort of, my, the way I view it is that I have this, this sort of unique insight into and belief that could be dead ass wrong uh, that, you know, the end of employer provided health insurance is coming, you know, winter is coming. And I think I I'm willing to sort of 
go after maybe a smaller market today that I believe is going to be a big, big, big market tomorrow. And the timing is such that the the market that I'm going after, the smaller market is maturing and stabilizing. Um, this role of an agent that, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is new and unique. It's not that small of a market though, is it? You said there's 200,000 people doing this. I mean, relative to, you know, the number of people in Utah, it's small. Like if you look at, if I'm a, if I'm going to be a health insurance agent, you know, am I going to be a group health insurance broker, an individual health insurance broker or a Medicare advantage broker right now? It's much more lucrative and there's a much larger, um, you know, mature market for group health insurance and Medicare Advantage markets. Yeah, no, you're right. I guess I'm just as now that you're. I realize what you're saying is you know something other people don't, which is why you're doing this business. But as soon as the details become clear, based on what your intern, uh, sorry, Lena's her name, based on what Lena did, there are a hundred. There are two hundred thousand people in Utah buying individual insurance, and a hundred thousand of them don't have a broker, meaning. If let's say the average you could make is $30 per person, there's $3 million a year or no, a month in money that you could make with co- without costing anyone anything or requiring them to buy anything new. Like that's a pretty ridiculous opportunity there. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> okay. I, re- I realize I'm not s- saying anything new yeah. for you, but th- this is blowing <laughs> my mind. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, but you know, I was, I was c- thinking Today, it'd been a few weeks where I hadn't got a whole lot of traction. I was getting a little bit, um, I don't know, down on how hard it is to reach out to people. And I think if we had talked about this topic last week, I'd have been like, man, this is hard. But I just, <laughs> in the last couple of days, just uh, started starting to pay off. So um, I'm going to continue just to reach out to five people a day. And I think that within a few months here, I'm going to hit the 50 number. And if the interns deliver on 25% of what they've signed up for, um, I should be in a pretty good place going into, you know, the fourth quarter to get to a couple hundred clients by the end of the year. At what point do you say it's time to like setting aside the fact that you've already got interns who maybe you want to retain if, if all of them leave, at what point do you say it's time to really think about bringing someone on? It's probably about 200 or 300 policies or clients. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Sometime next year, probably. Uh, unless, well. I mean, if things go like they did the past two days and continue to pick up, like then it's going to be sooner rather than later. Yeah. And if I get, and if cool. I, if I can figure out a, I mean, one thing that's interesting with the intern uh, ret- retention thing and the lack of fall semesters, maybe abandonment of fall semester schools is maybe there's some, you can get kind of creative with compensation um, for a short period of time. And so there's potential that, you know, it could be accretive to bring someone on who pays for themselves within a month. Yeah. So there's some, like, I think that if someone's already trained and like pretty de-risked, there's a unique thing there where it's like, man, like here's the job. If you do the job, we don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. I could see something like a profit share working. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. different stuff you could do there. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, all right. I, I actually have had a pretty slow week. I shouldn't say slow week. I Normally, I bounce around from thing to thing, and I've been focused on the same thing for a few weeks, which is the API, which I talked about last time. So I'm basically just still working on the API, um, but feeling really good about it. The intern, My interns are also getting a lot of work done. So I, don't, I have other stuff to talk about. I don't really have any like updates on uh, stuff I've been working on or anything. There's one more thing I, I wanted to share, and it's something that I ha- I'm having to reflect on um, now. Now that I've sort of had some success again, I think uh, you know there's this concept in sales called the dummy curve. And when you first start out selling something that you don't really know what you're doing, you are a true dummy, and that causes you to, when you talk to someone, ask a ton of questions and you know really understand their pain, make them feel heard. You kind of become this consultative doctor almost or surgeon. Um, mm-hmm. and you don't talk about the solution at all. Um, I think that as I started crafting the language, I, you know, and working on the messaging and sort of learning from each of those calls, I, I moved too far in the, Oh man, I found this beautiful messaging to tell what leg up health is. And I sort of moved out of the dummy zone and into this like expert zone of here's what leg up health is but it's not nearly as effective as acting like a dummy. So I'm sort of coming back to the fact where it's better to slow down, sell and, and, and sort of you know move faster as a result over time, because 
you know, all, you know, if you treat each call as a, a learning experience where it's like, hey, tell me about your situation, the pain flows, it comes out. And leg up health can sort of just be the solution to whatever pain that they're feeling on that call versus the perfect, beautiful story that I've crafted that I tell them right, right up front in the call. So I think um, if you're early on in sales, there's something here, which is just remember that like each client's experience with you is unique and you don't like just because you're confident in what their pains are, if they don't come to the conclusion on that through uh, you're talking to you, your, your pitch might not nearly be as not be, might not be nearly as, um, as, uh, as interesting to them until they've unloaded on you. I'm not familiar with the dummy curve is the idea that you should always stay in the dummy zone. Yeah, totally. So the, the best example is the, is the guy who works at a hardware store and is selling the, um, uh, the, uh, washers and dryers and his first day there, he sees a couple walk in, they're like, oh, man, we don't know what we want. And he's like, well, come over here to the, you know, hardware, you know, to the hardware section of the washer and dryers. And he goes, check this one out. What do you think about this one? And they start playing with it and they start asking questions. He goes, I don't know. Like, why, why do you ask that question? You know? And, uh, th- you know, they just start unloading on their pain and eventually they, you know, find the perfect washer and they're like, I want like, this is a no brainer. It solves my problem. And then you, you fast flash forward, you know, three weeks later, he's, he's now an expert on all the models. You know, he, he mm-hmm. knows the, he knows how they work. He has all the features down, including the things that don't matter to anyone. And another couple walks in and instead, you know, he says, Hey, what are you here for? Like, We're interested in what, buying a washer and dryer. And he goes over and they talk for one minute and he talks and says, this one does the triple D, you know, 3060 and does this, this, and this. Um, and they walk out and, and don't buy anything. And then three weeks you know, later, after he's failed for three weeks, he realizes, oh, it's better if I act dumb and, and ask questions like I don't know anything about them. So that they come to the, you know, they go through the process themselves and, and, and realize whether these pain. And so, so in, the, in that kind of example, the expert salesperson is intentionally a dummy by asking questions that pull out the pain. I've never heard that. Is this like some kind of famous sales parable or it's um the, the i learned i can't remember i think it's a sand like sandler sales training was one thing that we went through um at at zane benefits in the early days and i think this is a, a, a framework that he uses to explain um why it's important to ask questions and pull out pain before you know delivering your value proposition but it, it follows the same sort of guidelines as the mom test if you think about it um and so what i mean big my big takeaway is i it, i need to continue to stay in research mode and and in learning mode. And by doing that, I think I'll actually move faster in customer acquisition. Yeah, I guess the flip side is I'm just trying to think of a downside if there is one. And it probably doesn't help you craft your marketing the same way. Because like when you're marketing, you don't get to do that. You don't get to ask a lot of questions. And so you may not be able to learn, well, what should the headline on my website be to convert someone who I don't get to talk to? Totally. And I think that that's a problem to solve post 50 clients for me, for example, versus first 50. Because as you, as you recall, a few episodes ago, we talked about, should, you know, should I brute force it? Should I be, you know, um, experimental? And we decided that ultimately I can't really be experimental on a bootstrap basis until I have cash coming in that I can experiment with. So, um, you know, what I'm, I'm intentionally giving up those learnings to your point. Um, you know, to, to, to move faster. And ironically, what I'm learning is that it, to move faster, you actually slow down up front. Yeah. Cool. That's interesting. I'll, uh, I might have to pass that, the, the dummy curve on to, uh, people at Less Annoying CRM. Cause not that we really do sales, but we, we do all these demos with customers where, you know, they come to us, they sign up for free trials and then we do calls with them. And we always try to, we call it chit chat, like, do as much chit chat as you can at the beginning, but that's that's a nice like framework for. I think it's an idea we stumbled upon on our own, but it's always nice to be able to like have a term for it so that you can call it out if someone's not doing it or something like that. What I like about the dummy curve is it has a really strong why behind it, which is pulling out the pain and not like like when you don't do it, it it really does um, make the experience worse for the customer. And the doctor example is the best one because the doctor might know what you have from the second you walk in, but he's still mm-hmm. going to go through his, you know, 20 questions and they, they do it three freaking times by the time you get to the doctor. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, how many times have you been asked in one doctor visit, do you have any allergies? Yeah. Although I'm not going to give them credit for that one. I, yeah. I hate yeah. that experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the point, the point being that like they ask a lot of questions to confirm the, the, the to diagnose the problem before they start coming up with solutions. Yeah. Hmm, cool. I'm going to do an article on com about the dummy curve in the future. I'll send it to you when I do it. Great. I mean, I'm on your newsletter. I'll see it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to get my newsletter, it's at ricklinquist.com slash subscribe. How many people are, are, are you willing to share? Do you have yeah, I'm willing to share. I have 80 people hmm. and I launched it. Uh, let's see. I launched it. I think I'm on the month seven maybe of my newsletter. So, mm-hmm. um, I have, but I haven't really marketed it. I've mostly just, the only thing I do is the only marketing or promotion I do is I share it on social media. And I have a very weak, yeah. um, not not very engaged following there. So I'm, I, I need to figure out how to get more subscribers. Do you, I mean, do you need more subscribers? Like, I thought you were mostly doing that writing for your own benefit. Um, I No, I, that's fair. I don't really, I would do it. I think the, the one thing that's sort of, it's sort of like this podcast, like when we get another subscriber or someone who's interested in what we're talking about, it's, it's this extra motivation to keep doing it. Um, I get a lot of value out of writing every week and mm-hmm. um, every time I get a new subscriber and, and, or I get a note from someone that enjoyed an article, it's motivation. So I don't need new subscribers, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, one rant, I, I've been talking a lot, but I'll do one rant. Um, have you looked at Facebook? Have you logged into Facebook yet recently? I don't have an account. I, I quit years ago. You got to go check it out, man. They just did a whole new UI redesign. It's actually pretty yeah. impressive. Um, I'm I'm learning that Facebook's probably going to be useful for me for the demographic I'm targeting um, for Legup Health. So yeah, that makes I'm sense. actually playing in it again. But uh, you might like it. Might be worth just like peeking in again. I know you have a hard uh, thing, but um, I am pretty impressed with their. It feels way better logging into Facebook. Uh, as of yesterday than it had before. feels more what, like Twitter. What about it is better? Well, I can, I can put on the dark screen, um, navigating to pages that you own because the primary reason I use Facebook is for my business pages. Uh, that was so much more, more delightful. Um, and it just feels like I know, I understand what Facebook can do for me from the dash. Like when I first log in way, it's made way clearer with less button clicks than it was before, but I haven't played around with it enough to say like it's definitively better, but in terms of managing uh, business pages, it's in- incredibly much better. Hmm. I'm going to counter rant and say, I don't understand the whole dark mode trend. I'm, and I should say, I'm fine. If a website wants to be dark mode by default versus light mode, I don't care. But like, it seems like such a waste of time to, for every website to like have this toggle and, have two totally different UIs designed. I, I don't understand why people are investing time in this. So I, I, I like the dark stuff primarily for mobile purposes is where I got into it because like when I'm in bed or something or I'm in dark, um, I prefer it, but I've, I've grown to like the sort of medium dark mode on Twitter and Gmail and now Facebook. But you just think everything should be dark mode. Like why even have a light mode? I, I prefer the only exception is my Kindle. I've pl- I've played with the Kindle app being dark mode, and I much prefer to read with wh- with black text and white background than black background white text. Hmm. All right. Well, if anyone's a less knowing CRM user out there, dark mode is not coming. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, I don't think it. Yeah, they, they probably don't even know dark mode exists. Most of your users. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> uh, what what um what new topics do you have to talk about? So one thing I, this is, I've had this on the list for a few weeks uh, and we haven't gotten to it. So maybe it's a little outdated now, but I wanted your thoughts on this. So Shopify got in a little bit of trouble recently, kind of when the peak Black Lives Matter stuff was, you know, in the zeitgeist. Um, Shopify was under fire because they, I guess, host some shop from a website that I don't know if they actually are white supremacists. They're accused of being white supremacist. I, I don't care about the specifics of Shopify. Like, I don't support them. It, it means it matters not at all to me. But it, it, it's a problem that I've run into in my business where what responsibility does a software company have towards deciding who gets to use the product? 
Um, an example we had of this a long time ago at Listening CRM is one of my least favorite types of professions in the world is, is being a uh, patent troll, where you basically buy patents and then sell, or not sell, you, you sue every company imaginable. Most of them will not pay you, but some of them like are bullied and like basically you say, give me $500,000 or else I'm going to, you know, this lawsuit's going to go through. Even if you win the lawsuit, it costs a million dollars in legal fees. So it's just like legal extortion, basically. You've got to pay me off. It, it's not like a valid lawsuit, right? Anyway, sorry, that was a little rant, but we had someone sign up for Less Knowing CRM and send in a contact form that was like, hey, I'm a patent troll. I mean, he didn't say that, but he was like, my business model is I buy patents and then I, I'm going to use your CRM to find, you know, a thousand businesses that I can sue. And then I'm going to like put them all in my pipeline and work through the lawsuits. And we had this like dilemma of, should we allow this? Like, th- this is scum of the earth. I hate this person. But at the same time, is it like a slippery slope to say, well, you know, what you're doing is not illegal. I don't know. Do you know, do you know what I'm getting at here? So well, I'm interested in what you decided in this particular case. Well, this was years ago, and we wrote up a blog post. We actually saw a bit of an opportunity in this where we were like, we'll get to the front page of Hacker News with this, which we did. But we wrote up a blog post that was like, we did. We decided not to kick them off or do anything. We basically said, the argument was, what message does it send to our non-scum-of-the-earth customers if we start to become the judge, jury, and executioner here where we say, we're going to you know, block your access to our product because we don't like what you're doing with it? Patent trolling is pretty, like, pretty just obviously bad. But does that make people think, well, the the two founders are liberal, I'm conservative, are they going to block my account? Or he's an atheist and I'm not, like, is, right? Like, I, I was worried about the precedent that it would sense, send. So we decided to just say, unless it's actually illegal, we're not going to do anything about it. But I am questioning that now. We're like, I think the world and our country in particular is actually being threatened by a lot of stuff that's not illegal but is like destroying the world. And it does make me think maybe we all have more of an obligation to do something about it. I don't know. Yeah. um, It feels like, it feels like this is, I mean, I don't, this is all new territory. So I think there's only one way to figure out how this all works and that's to try something and see if it works when you're ready to. So Obviously, you saw Reddit uh, shut down a few subreddits. I didn't know what a subreddit was until three weeks ago when I signed up for the uh, Call of Duty Warzone subreddit, and I love getting my calls, <laughs> Call of Duty Warzone clips. Um, but uh, you know, I understand that there's some some subreddits, and I signed up by by the way. I'm on Reddit with my full name, Rick Lindquist, and apparently that's not okay. Uh, everyone has this like it's like the it's like suit, somewhat anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I don't really like that. I, I think everything, sh- you know, for I, I, the places I want to hang out, I want to be uh, known and know who I'm talking to. I see, I don't want to get into a discussion around the, the pros of anonymity, but I hear that I know that there are. Um, so anyway, they, they shut down Trump and some, you know, hate speech. But like, you know, I think this is going to be on a company by company basis. If you can afford, if you have, I think if you if you believe that you can afford to lose some business as a result of applying this, then I think you're in a better position to sort of experiment. If you can't afford to lose money right now um, due to this, it puts employees at risk. It's probably be- you know better to sort of watch and learn from other people experimenting with it and and maybe leverage some of the frameworks. I mean, at the end of the day, I think no one has a playbook for this. Uh, yeah. sort of enforcing, you know, moral codes on, you know, ac- access to your business. Um, Chick-fil- you know, I, Chick-fil-A doesn't deny service to anyone, you know, even though they're closed on Sunday, but they do close on, they deny service to everyone on Sunday, um, you know, due to moral code that they have. And, and I guess, uh, I guess if you were going to do something with this, it would, it seems like it should be based on some clear set of values that are transparent to the world. Yeah, it should be defined that here's what we find unacceptable. There's what I'm torn on here. I normally love to be a part of the outrage mob and, you know, be like, everybody should be pure and virtuous and let's hate everybody who doesn't. I'm probably too far in that direction. But 
like i think that th- these like people who are accusing companies of working with the bad guy maybe take it too far where for example microsoft and amazon have both been under fire for this also where like working with ice for example the immigration what what does it stand for immigration something enforcement um but there's like different ways of working quote unquote working with ice like there's in one case i think one of them built custom software to help ice detain children and it's like okay that seems bad like you were actually writing the code that directly caused this thing that your employees and everyone else doesn't like versus there's a different one where i think microsoft got in trouble for letting ice have access to word which to me feels like probably crossing into it like it it's like, what are you going to do about that? Like, yes, this is like, I'm like Nike makes sneakers. And if a racist buys the sneakers, like, is it really Nike's fault? Um, I don't know. So this can definitely be taken too far, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know where the line is. Um, I, I think, uh, oh man, I, I think, gosh, I, I, it'll be interesting to watch what happens. I do think that there's a role for private companies to play in, reforming public view and then also pressuring government regulation. Um, I, I, I think I I have a hard cancel culture shaming. I'm not a huge fan of in general. It just, I feel like there are better ways um, to move forward. Um, Most of those are idealistic views of mine Um, (laughs) and I'm coming, you know, with to terms with maybe, you know, maybe people have tried that and it hasn't worked and it's time to just shame and cancel. But, uh, I don't know the answer to your question. I, I feel like, yeah. um, I feel like I, 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 as long as someone's clear, a company's clear about where they stand on an issue, they're clear to their employees. They're clear to their customers. They're clear to the potential customer market to the market. And they act in accordance with what they stand for. Like who, who might default them? Yeah, I can disagree. With I them. think maybe that's what that's what the concern was with the patent troll. I guess is that we we hadn't said. I think I was worried that if we block this person, well, someone else that we would never block, worry that like you can't actually trust us. And I guess what you're saying makes sense. That just have to put something in our I don't know terms of service or whatever. And I, I, this is pure hypothetical. I, I don't expect this to ever happen to us again because that's CRMs are not really used in that way for the most part. But like, yeah, you just say, here's a list of things we don't tolerate. You can change it every once in a while, but more or less stay consistent to that list. I think that makes sense. And it's probably easier to do that early on as a company um, and evolve it. But I think the, the thing, like starting from scratch on something like that, not that you would be, but you know, you risk, um, if you're late to the party on something like that, you risk having existing customers and existing employees and existing partners sort of be at odds with those values potentially. Um, hmm. but, uh, you know, I, you know, like that's probably what something Microsoft has to deal with that you probably don't, you probably have, you know, employees who are probably pretty much pretty aligned with what you stand for, but you might have some customers who would disagree with certain stances if taken too far on this. So there, there could be a cost to it's, yeah. I guess it's, it's more challenging to do this once you have a larger stakeholder base. Yeah. At the same time, it doesn't come up until it comes up. Like we could put it in our terms of service and no one would ever read it. Um, I bet there are companies out there doing this all the time. They're blocked. They're like, no, you're an asshole. You're blocked, uh, from using my product and it never comes up. And then, you know, one out of a hundred times it becomes like some kind of internet sensation and the pitchforks come out on both sides. Yeah, and I guess um, what I'm trying to say is that <coughs> consistency is important here. And if you were once, if you were a company that, like Reddit, for example, is going to have a big challenge with this. They're, they're a company that have forever has been like, you can talk about pretty much anything anonymously. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And now they're, they're sort of, and we stand for that, right? And now they're going to the direction of that's not the, that's not what we stand for anymore. There's a lack of consistency there that I think is going to be really challenging for them. And, you know, I think what, what, what I think a really cool start to last company has the ability to do is remain really consistent with, (coughs) pardon me, with uh, your, 
your your core set of values. And if you can tie everything back to like, hey, like here's who we are, here's what we stand for, then you probably can make any decision you want. But if 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 you're sort of getting off this, you're getting inconsistent or incongruent with what you stand for. I think that's where it yeah. gets a lot more challenging. That makes sense. That's also, we talked last week about Apple and their app store guidelines. If Apple were just consistent about how they applied these guidelines, I don't think there'd be a controversy. The problem is no, nobody can predict what they'll allow and what they won't allow. So yeah. Okay. Anyway, we've probably talked about that enough, but thanks for humoring me there. That's just uh, kind of a nightmare of mine as this patent troll thing comes up again. <laughs> so what about you? Anything else? Um, well, I'm <coughs> sorry. I'm having a scratchy throat. Pardon me. Um, I'm thinking more and more about scarcity and exclusivity and maybe pl- applying it to leg up health. On one hand, I'm getting a lot of traction with just plain reach out, but there's something really interesting about making sort of leg up health, this premium brand that you only get access to if you know someone. And I, you know, I, I don't know how effective it would be, but I, I sort of fantasize about having it be an invite only, very tightly knit community, like referral driven business. And there's really only one way to test that theory, which is go extreme on the scarcity route. And so, anyway, I, you know, again, I put this on here before I had the most recent success and Lena, Lena's call us today. So I'm sort of biased the other way now, but have you thought about scarcity much and what you think about that? It feels, it feels like playing games with people's psychological tendencies versus standing for something. So I think I'm against it, but I'm interested in what, what you think about it. Yeah, I, I agree that my instinct is to be against it. I think there are situations where it makes sense, which I'll talk about, but the problematic things, one, yes, it feels like playing games. It doesn't feel like you're serving people, which I don't like when startups get too cocky and are kind of like, oh, you know, they should have to apply to buy my thing or whatever. And it's like, if you can get away with it, I guess, okay. But I like having a servant attitude, right? I like a business that says I'm here to serve you. And I think exclusivity doesn't do that. It also has weird kind of equity and diversity types of issues. There are all these products. What's the one that's huge in uh, Silicon Valley right now? It's like a Twitter, but for voice. Clubhouse. Um, yeah, Twitch? Clubhouse. Okay. Clubhouse. Uh, where, you know, I think it's still invite only and it's just a bunch of like venture capitalists and CEOs and like pretty prominent people, which gives it this kind of sexy, like, oh, it's it's the in crowd, everyone wants to be in it. But it's also like hold like supporting all of these existing barriers to entry for people who haven't already made it. So I don't like that element of it either. And you, you can accidentally find yourself in a situation where like your customer base is really not diverse and stuff like that, which I mean, depending on how essential what you provide is, I mean, maybe that's a big deal or maybe it's not, but there are some concerns, but yeah, on the flip so, side, well, yes, yeah, I good. Go down no, here on the flip side. Go ahead. Well, on the flip side. I, so I think it's gr- good if it's necessary. Like if you have this overwhelming demand and you're like, well, you know, we, maybe we don't have the ability to scale this up yet, or maybe we like, we're worried about abuse. We're like, we just don't have everything figured out. We're not ready to bring in the whole world. Then I think it makes sense. I think for superhuman, it makes a certain amount of sense, but not normally. It's pure, no, it's pure greed at this. I think like the reason I'm thinking about it is greediness, not, not yeah. for servant culture. And and I think that immediately eliminates it. It's in, that's a perfect example of something being inconsistent with the brand. Leg up health exists mm-hmm. to help people, you know, every, you know, the, the, the little guy who buys his own health insurance, get a leg up, but, oh, we're exclusive. And, <laughs> you know, that doesn't work. Yeah. I do think it could, if you end up in a situation where you're really providing high touch service for certain people, I do think you could be like, listen, anyone can sign up for the freemium thing, but like, you know, we're at capacity right now and we need to hire some people before we'll let more people in the like high touch thing, but you're not there right now. So it's, that's kind no. of moot. No. Yep. Totally. That's helpful. Actually, I wasn't expecting to get a confirmation on where I should go there, but I'm definitely not going to go that route. I'm going to stay broad with my approach. Cool. Um, what other topics do you have? I've got one more, but it's actually cha- I put it here a few weeks ago and it doesn't apply as much anymore. So we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the podcast. Um, 
I really enjoy when we have listener questions and more specifically, not just questions, but sort of situations slash problems to tackle. And I guess I would, I wondered if you, if we invited that more on the show, would you be open to that? And feel free to say like, no. No, yeah, I think that'd be great. It's, you know, we used to do these deep dive topics, but they were always based on what you or I needed. And the reality is there's not a deep to- a topic to dive into deeply every other week for each of us. Um, I think we've done this twice now, mm-hmm. uh, where a, a listener has written in, given us some context, and we've spent, you know, 30 minutes or so talking about it. I've also really enjoyed it. I'd love to do that more. Yeah. And I think I'm pretty sure the first person that we talked about with a problem just sold his business. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I, that was kind of a cool, that, it's kind of cool to see the journey and, and be feel connected to it. And, um, so, so I guess I, you know, what I'd like to say is that if you have, you know, if you're listening and you are interested in engaging with us on a, you know, sharing a, some context to a situation you're dealing with or a problem that you're dealing with, with your business, we're happy to, if it makes sense, uh, queue it up on our backlog of discussion topics, talk about it. And, you know, we're not saying we'll be able to solve it, but sometimes just hearing other people try to talk about solving your problem, uh, it's it's useful. Yeah. And I, I'm also really interested in specifics. Like, I think a tendency of podcasts where, like, there's listener questions, it's kind of like, how should a startup go about getting early customers? And what I'm much more interested in is, like, my startup does X, Y, Z. Here's the exact situation we're in. Because the more specific it is, I think the more you can like really sink your teeth into a topic. And both of the topics that we've taken from listeners as, have been specific and unique. And uh, there's a lot of context provided. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Cool. Cool. That's um, all I had great. today. Do you have anything, have anything else? else? No, I'm good. Cool. Are you doing anything fun for the fourth? No. Uh, I'm the week, the weekend after the fourth, I'm going to my parents' lake house for my dad's birthday, but, uh, you guys have a lake house for the, it's, it's not the kind of lake you'd be interested in. Like there's no motorboats allowed, but, uh, yes, it's, it's you get on the technically canoe? on a lake. Yeah. And I don't even particularly like that. I mean, it's just a, I'm an indoor person. It's just another house to be in with worse air conditioning, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm probably I've got another meeting here and then I'm gonna head to I'm gonna head down to the lake for the rest of the week. So enjoy your uh wait enjoy aren't your you in the aren't you at the lake right now? Well I'm I'm up on a hill above the lake looking down. I have to go drive to the lake to where the boat is. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, cool. well um I'll see you next week. Yep. See ya. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founder or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week.